Well, God is growing us as a church. He's growing us in a hard area through um, the sermons that we've been covering over the past several weeks. The series is called Find Your Voice. The hope is that as together, as we learn how to speak the truth in love, we will have much, much, much better conversations about hot topics in our day. Cultural issues that affect everyone. The world is talking about it, and too often we don't know what to say, or we don't know how to say it. We've already been on quite a journey. We've learned how to talk about Islam and terrorism together. We've also learned how to talk about God and government, pro-life, pro-choice, and we spent four weeks on LGBT issues. How do we discuss those things with grace and with truth? Now, we're going to spend a few weeks on yet again another hard topic, racism and violence. We'll spend two weeks on that. Racism is a problem in our world, and it's a problem in our world because it's a problem in our hearts. The problem of racism is not out there somewhere. It is right in here. And the sin of racism lurks in the shadows of every single heart in this room. There's a reason for it. It's because we struggle to love those who are different from us. We struggle to love those who are different, perhaps in a different economic class than us. Whether they have less or more, it can become a problem in our heart. We struggle to love those who have a different level of education than us, those who are of a different political conviction than us, those who go to a different denomination than us. We struggle to get along with people who are different from us. And if you're saying, I get along with everyone, I think you're lying to yourself because it's those people who are most different from us, even in their personality types, who can drive us crazy. <laughs> introverts, you kind of got a problem with extroverts. Extroverts, you kind of are wondering what's up with introverts. I mean, we just struggle to relate to people who are different from us in any way. And the truth is, our world is failing to solve the problem of racism, failing miserably to solve it. The church, in many respects, has failed to solve the problem of racism. And our country is in a wrestling match right now when it comes to racial tension. The headlines are always filled with new evidence of the problem, uh, but right now there is a huge struggle between the black community and the law enforcement community. There's also a giant struggle within the Muslim community and from those who are outside of the Muslim community looking in. There's also much fear and opposition towards illegal immigrants. And for some people, there's a lot of uh, issues emotionally with all immigrants. And these are the headlines again and again. Racial tensions flared up in the black community recently when uh, two black suspects were shot dead by white officers while live videos of these shootings went viral. We live in an age when the world can watch it happen as it happens, and then everyone can react at once. That isn't the problem that everyone knows about it. It's showing everyone that the problem hasn't gone away yet. Philando Castile was shot during a routine traffic stop in Minnesota. Alton Sterling was shot in a parking lot in Baton Rouge. These videos caused deep anger 
and outrage in a community that is still processing the deaths of Freddie Gray in Baltimore and Walter Scott in South Carolina and Michael Brown in Ferguson and Eric Garner in New York and Trayvon Martin in Florida and the list goes on and on and on and the wounds are open yet again. And then sadly, Michael Xavier Johnson retaliated by killing five police officers at a protest in Dallas, which only made the problem worse and did nothing to help solve it. Our world is failing to fix the problem. But there is good news. The good news is this. The good news is that Jesus Christ offers a better way. He offers a better way than mutual hatred and unending retaliation. Jesus is the better way. And we will see that the cross is our only hope of healing humanity of racism and violence. The cross is it. You go to the cross, that's where it gets fixed. You don't go to the cross, the problem will never get fixed. Not in your heart, not in your church, not in your family, not in your world. It's a big problem and so individuals end up wondering, what's my part? And I think some people in this room are telling themselves right now, well, I'm not part of the problem because I'm not a racist. Uh, Part of the problem is if you are a racist and those feelings and those beliefs and those thoughts do lurk in your heart. But it's not enough to say, I'm not doing something bad, therefore, I'm good. Uh, That's not true. It's not enough to say, I'm not doing something bad. What are you doing to help solve the problem? That's what I want to know. And what are we doing to help solve the problem? That's what I want to know. And you might feel completely overwhelmed at that thought. So let me make it clear. Here's my challenge for the next two weeks. My challenge is that you and us as a church would make a relentless, risky, everyday effort to reach across racial boundaries with the love of Christ. Relentless, meaning you have a heart-pounding conviction that this is important. And it's risky, meaning you're not playing it safe and doing what you've always done. Something's changing. And it's an everyday effort. You're not trying to find some grand gesture or some march or some donation. It's an everyday effort. It actually comes into your daily life. If we aim to make a relentless, risky, everyday effort together to reach across racial boundaries with the love of Christ, hearts will change, families will change, churches will change, and the whole world will be different. Let's pray, and then we'll learn how to get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for this challenge. Open our eyes to see your will on this matter, and help us to find our voice to talk about this issue and to make progress. Only you can do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, verse 26. We're going to go to several verses today in the Scripture, and you can track around with me. Many of them will be put on the screen. Acts 17 will be there in a moment. Uh, The sermon today is outlined according to the four major words that define the Christian worldview. What you will see is that if you look at the four major words that represent our total convictions in life, uh, racism is incompatible with the sum total of what we believe. Um, And everyone needs to give an answer for what they believe about these four words. And so the same applies to the topic of racism. Jot this down first, though. Here's the challenge. Speak out against racism... Uh, that you find around you and inside of you. 
Find your voice on that. What you find around you and what you find inside of you, you must speak out against it. You might say, why? Why must I speak out against it? And we'll give an answer to that this morning. We'll focus a lot more on how next week. How? What, how exactly can I do that? But why? Why, why? why must we do this? First thing is this. Let's talk about origin. Looking back to the dawn of humanity, looking back to creation, we find out a lot about how we got here. Origin, write this down. We believe God designed every person to reflect his image through his son. Every individual life from every single race bears God's image, bears God's likeness. What will heal your heart when you look at someone who's different from you and have feelings that are not positive? goes a long way to look at that person and see God's fingerprints all over them. To tell yourself, God knit that person together in their mother's womb. And to say, way back at the beginning, the dawn of humanity, we came from the same family. We're relatives. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26 to 27, it says this, And he, God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? That they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, that he's actually not far from each one of us. The Apostle Paul was sharing this message with a different race of people, with a different cultural group, different ethnicity. Paul was a Jew and he's standing in front of Gentiles. They didn't get along. They didn't eat with each other. And he's standing in this setting giving this speech about how God made all the nations from one man. What an example he sets for us. If you, deep in your heart, embrace the reality that we all came from one man, you can start on common ground with anyone you find in your life. It's important to know humanity didn't originate from many parts, like some evolved over here, some evolved over here, some evolved over here. Then the nations eventually, these groups, these tribes, started to try and talk to each other. That's not the story of humanity. As they study DNA like we could never do before, they're finding that we came from one ancestor. We came from one. DNA is showing that. That means that we are biologically linked at the beginning. We knew that from the book of Genesis. It's amazing what it does to your heart when you look at a person who's different from you and say, there's my relative. We brought our daughter Ellie to the, doc, to the uh, hospital once. She broke a wrist. And so we brought her in. And they, when you have a break or a bruise or whatever, they put you in what's called the fast track. They just try and get you out of there as fast as they can. So in we go. And uh, the doctor comes in. They took the x-ray. And he said, he sat down. And he was only in the room for like maybe 90 seconds. I mean, it was a quick visit, maybe a couple minutes. And he says, yeah, you broke your wrist, and here's the picture of it. And uh, by the end of that minute and a half period, he knew our daughter's name, her hobbies, the name of her dog, and he gave her some encouragement before he left the room. When he left, she said, he was nice. She said, he felt like a relative. He had this much time to make that happen, and he did it. Grand Slam. That's not by accident. That's by design. And I wonder, when you're around people who are of a different race from you, do you feel like a relative to them? Is there this kindred spirit? This, Or is it cold? Is it cold? Well, I'm not saying anything hateful, but is, are you reaching across with the love of Christ and understanding that this person 
is family. We all came from the same man, the same couple. That changes how we feel. Jot this down. Racism disregards a person's God-given value. Their value doesn't come from their education or their income or their skin color or their history. Uh, That's not where value comes from. God gives value because his nature is impressed upon the heart of every creation. God's great love for the nations shows that he loves diversity. And he loves, loves, loves that not everyone in this world is exactly like you. He loves that. A world full of yous would be an abomination to the Lord. No offense. But he's really glad that not everyone is like you. Our differences show God's creativity and his love and his wisdom. People are different in many ways. People have different heights. Check this out. This is the world's tallest and shortest man. Look at that. Tallest and shortest. God really likes variety. We're different, we're different body types, different weight, different hair color, different eye color, different skin tone. My son loves WWE. Check this out. Here's two WWE wrestlers. One of them is really pale, and the other is really tan. <laughs> and very different. That's Seamus on the left. He's the Irish Celtic warrior. We saw him in person and the light shining on him. It, he was like ghostly white. And he loves it. He, he talks about it. It's part of his you know, identity in the ring. But God loves variety. He loves changing things up. We're different, we're different ages. Here's a picture of two people who are very different ages. Different ages. These differences can lead to conflict between the young and the old, the black and the white. can lead to conflict between men and women. We're different. The reason it leads to conflict is because when we see someone who's different from us, uh, we're threatened by that, and we feel like somehow we could end up, after the math is done, uh, being less valuable than them, or able, or competent, or praiseworthy. So what do we do? We minimize their identity down to a few traits that are favorable by comparison to us, and then we put them on a shelf in a box, and we put ourselves on a shelf that's higher than them. That's the whole goal, is to take our differences and define ourselves as superior in some way from other people. And that's sin. It disregards a person's God-given value. Let's define our terms so that we can stay clear. What is race? You can jot this down if you want. It's a bonus note. Race is a major division of humankind that shares common physical traits. Common physical traits. We'll leave that up there for a bit to make sure you can write it all down. It is, um, it is a physical trait that puts you in a race of people. It's a biological concept that distinguishes people by features like skin color, hair type, facial, facial features, and other physical inherited traits. I learned fascinating things this week. I learned that there are two types of human earwax. Ew. You can write that down if you want. That's free <laughs> science for you. And... And your race determines what type you get. Our bodies, our physical traits, give clear evidence that there is a biological component, a bodily component to what group you are a part of. And that traces back to some of your early, though not your earliest, uh, descendants. But the idea of race is super narrow. 
Uh, and it's a, it's a rather recent category to simply lump people into groups based on their physical traits. The Bible really didn't do that. When the Bible grouped people up, they used more of what we would understand as the concept of ethnicity. So you can jot this down. What is ethnicity? It would be um, what culturally distinguishes you. So ethnicity is culturally distinguished by language, dress, food, customs, values, and religion. You can even put borders. Um, the Bible groups people in this sense. It doesn't really ever say black and white or skin color. It, it says nations, tribes, and tongues. So the Bible groups people by their common heritage, their common, uh, the authority that they're under, tribes, their language group that they're a part of, and there could be people of different races in that nation, tribe, or tongue. Uh, so it's not that using the idea of race is wrong. It's not that there is no such thing as race. No, there is. It's just a really modern day thing to define people by something so binary as a color or an external bodily trait. It's a very recent thing to be doing that. More often than not, history has used the idea of ethnicity. And there are may, many different people groups in all the world. Here's some pictures of people from uh, traditional ethnic festivals all over the earth. God loves diversity. He loves seeing different people in different apparel, doing different uh, things, expressing themselves in different ways. He, he loves the variety. And the things that make us different make us beautiful and special, not because they make us better than the other races, but because they show the wisdom of our maker, the love and the kindness and the concern of the one who designed us to reflect his image. God designed every person to reflect his image in a different way through his son. What then is racism? Racism is this, any belief or practice that treats or values one race over other races. Any belief or practice that treats or values one race over other races. Uh, racism is a sinful heart condition that cuts against the truth of the origin that we all came from the same person. Hey, listen, I really need you to hear this right now. Racism comes out of a sinful heart that has embraced the selfish lie. And if you had to summarize it in two words... When racism rears its ugly head in your heart, here's what you're telling yourself. Born better. Born better. And the first few chapters in the Bible tell you that's a lie. It's false. Nothing of that is true. And if you embrace it, it's because you're finding ways to elevate and love yourself turning against the truth. Racism disregards a person's God-given value. It diminishes the value of a person, and it does it by embracing a lie. That's the word origin, and looking back to the beginning, we see that racism cuts against the start of humanity. He designed every person to reflect his image through his son. Number two, jot this down. Meaning. What is the meaning of life? Why were we made? Why are we here? Why did God choose to let you wake up this morning and give you the air that you're breathing so that you can continue on? Why? Why did he do that? The meaning of everyone's life is this. Every person exists to glorify God in Christ. I hope you know the definition of the word glorify because it's your purpose. It's the reason God said yes to you getting another day. I hope you know what it means to glorify God because that's why you're here. The word glorify means to prove God has been somewhere or done something. If you glorify God, you become 
evidence that God is and that he is awesome and that he is alive and that he is real. Your life is given to you so that you can become proof that God is amazing. And that's true for everyone you will interact with of every race. They're here with breath in their lungs because God wants them to become walking, living proof that he is and that he's awesome. Racism, therefore, cuts against the meaning that, of everyone's life. Because there's this understanding of superiority. And then there's this classification as if one is meant to serve and bring a better life to another or get out of the way while a superior race is flourishing. Psalm 86.9 says this, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Let's check out where all the nations came from. Genesis chapter 11 tells us when God divided up humanity. We don't think you can turn there, Genesis 11. We don't think the book of Genesis is filled with myths. We think God gave us uh, the truth on history, and he did some things back then that altered the landscape of the world. And in Genesis 11, we have the account of where the races came from. What's already happened before Genesis 11? Not much. Adam, Eve, their kids, which were there messed up from the start. And then Noah. God killed every man, woman, and child on the planet because of the violence that was happening, and then he started over. Well, then... People started gathering. Chapter 11, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, What's the problem with this plant? God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill thee, fill thee, and subdue it. Spread out. Spread my rule, my heavenly rule, through your faithfulness. And then here, this is a man rivaling God, working to reach heaven alone, proudly, independently rejecting God's plan for the earth. No, we won't spread out. No, we won't break up. No, we won't. We're going to get together and we're going to be awesome. We're going to reach up to the heavens. And uh, what happens? It says in verse 5, And the Lord came down. That's kind of funny. We're building a huge tower all the way up to heaven. And God's got to come down to even see it. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are of one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will not be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth. They left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. From there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth." So racial, ethnic, national identities began to come about because of language division, and the language division came about for few, two reasons. It was first a punishment on sinful humanity for trying to unite against God's plan. It was a punishment. It was a, you think you're going to get together, and you're going to make it all the way to heaven, and you're going to turn on my plan. Bam! 
and they had never heard of other languages before. It wasn't like, you know, they had Rosetta Stone. They didn't know what another language was, all right? And suddenly it was just like, why can't you hear the words I'm saying? And the other person's like, and there's all these languages. How many? We're not sure. There are now 7,000 languages in the world, so there at least had to be enough languages for all those languages to grow out of. But there was total chaos, and it was a punishment because humanity dared to rival God. But it wasn't just a punishment. It was a preservative because now humanity was prevented from all uniting up against God together at the same time. No more flood. God flooded the earth, and what did humanity do? They pretty much all got together in one city and like gave God the finger, all right? And God's like, enough of this. So, so he's preserving humanity by dividing humanity. It's really huge that you know that. Languages and races and nations came about as a punishment and a preservative. God didn't abandon the quest, though. What did he do? Well, in the very next chapter, he called one man, Abraham, out of this area, and he says, I will make a great nation of you and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's plan for regathering all the nations that he scattered was there from Genesis. And the descendant of Abraham who would do it is the Lord Jesus Christ. God promised it back in Genesis. I know you guys are trying to get it all together. Wrong way. I'm going to set up a nation. I'm going to gather all the families of the earth together. I'm going to do it, not you. Every person exists to glorify God. And it was in Christ that that is supposed to happen. From the beginning. Now check out the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 1. In the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 1, we find out how God eventually kept his promise to Abraham. What is God's plan to regather all of these many different people groups? Well, in Acts chapter 2, after the Lord died, was risen, went to heaven, his disciples were all together in one place, and it says in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. What happened here? What happened here is God took a bunch of uh, uneducated fishermen and common folk uh, who maybe had the equivalent of like today, maybe a first grade education if they didn't make it through the school to become rabbis, and bam, they knew a new language. High schoolers, how sweet would that be? You sit down the first day in, in Spanish 1. And the teacher's just like, I have a gift for you. Boom. And it's like, you know it all. God did it. And people who know their Bible should say to themselves, wait a minute. God giving these people instantly all these many languages that they didn't know. What does that remind me of? Aha, Babel. When God gave people a bunch of languages that they didn't know in an instant. God did it there to punish and to preserve. God does it at Pentecost. Why? To begin regathering the nations, all under one banner, the name Jesus Christ. He now gives all the languages to gather them in and to send them out, to group all of the families of the earth back together. The Bible makes sense. 
It's not a random collection of stories that don't line up. God had a plan from the beginning, and that plan is Jesus Christ. It's only under Christ that the nations will be regathered. All other plans will fail. This is the purpose of race. This is the purpose. And racism rejects a person's God-given purpose. You You don't get it if you're racist, what God's doing with the diversity. You don't get it. We're so excited about what God's doing in a ministry called Wycliffe Bible Translators. They know that so many people don't even have a Bible in their languages. And how could a racist heart ever look to the ends of the earth and say, let's get all of them in here together? See how it's opposed to the gospel? Check out what Wycliffe's doing. Such a loving thing. The Bible. It's one of the oldest and most popular books of all time. But is it just a book? Or is it much more than that? At Wycliffe, we believe that the Bible is literally God's word to us. And we think everyone deserves to hear it in a language they can clearly understand. But here's the problem. Not everyone has access to God's word. In fact, people from around 1,800 language groups are still waiting for their Bible translation to begin. That's approximately 180 million men, women, and children who don't have a single word of the Bible in a language they can clearly understand. When people finally get the Bible in their own language, lives often change in amazing ways. We've seen people freed from addictions, saved from violent lifestyles, and rescued from some very dark corners of their own hearts. Men and women have found forgiveness for past wrongs, and relationships have been restored, each empowered by the truth and wisdom of God's Word. But the most important thing about the Bible, the thing that makes translation so crucial, is that it leads people to Jesus Christ and a right relationship with God. That's why Wycliffe exists. It's why we're working with more than 1,500 language communities right now to help them get God's word. And no matter what it takes, we won't stop until all people have the Bible in a language they can understand. Every person exists to glorify God in Christ. The church is meant to show that by reaching out with the love and the truth of Christ. So racism cuts against our origin, um, where we all came from. Racism cuts against our meaning, why we're all here on this planet. Third, let's talk about morality. Jesus is the only solution to our problem with evil. That's true of every nation, tribe, and tongue. There is one solution. Jesus is it. We all contain the same fatal heart disease, sin. The same sin nature is found in every race. If you nurture racist thoughts, it's because you have concluded that you are somehow morally superior to other people based on basically external traits. It's a lie because you ain't. You are no better than anyone else in this room. In fact, you are equally in need of someone to come down and rescue you. When you understand the truth about your moral bankruptcy... You have no higher ground to stand on compared to anyone of a different color or language group. Ephesians 2, 12-14 says this, Remember that you were at that time, meaning before Christ saved you, 
You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Pause. That's your beginning. That's your beginning if you grew up in a Christian home. Please never say to anyone, I've always been a Christian. Please never say that. If you say, I've always been a Christian, your Christian upbringing failed. All right? Because your Christian upbringing was meant to show you that God wasn't in your life. And every time you went to church on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, you should have looked up and said, I need that. Should have looked up and said, I have that. All right? I don't care if you went to Christian school. I don't care if you went to Christian college. All that was supposed to show you, you need God's son. You're getting nowhere near him forever. If that message never got through to you, I would hate for anyone in this room to think they're saved when they're not. What a horrible way to live your life. To think that someone told you you always had it when the Bible constantly told you you never had it. Wake up if you have never heard that truth. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope without God in the world. Well, God's always been there for me. No. No, he hasn't. All the pain in your world before you are saved is God's way of showing you the same thing. I'm not in your life and you need my son. All the pain before you're a Christian is God's way of showing you how much you need Christ in your life. After you become a Christian, all the pain has a purpose, just for another sermon. All the pain is meant to show you how closely God is in your life. Verse 13 is awesome. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. All of us were far off. Jesus brought all of us near. How? By his blood on the cross. This is beautiful. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What is the cure for racism? It's the love of Christ on display at the cross. You can't understand the gospel unless you understand the horrible reality of the truth of your heart. You are a foreigner to God. You have no home in heaven. You're not welcome on his land. He has erected a wall from earth to heaven that you cannot get over. For all of eternity, you will never be welcome in his presence because of your sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were escorted out of the garden and an angel with a flaming sword prevented them from taking hold of eternal life. That's how God feels about you getting near to him. All right. That's your starting point. So there's you standing in front of something that makes the Great Wall of China look like a Lego set. What hope do you have of getting in? None. That's the point. None. All you can do is Look to the Son, Jesus Christ, who because he was God had the authority to come down and mediate. And based on Jesus' death for you, he's the only one who can tear down that wall and make a way for you into God's land. God has a country. It's not yours. You are a non-resident. Jesus comes down with papers to make you citizens of heaven. If you don't get that you are a stranger to God, a foreigner, an exile, a rebel, you have no place before him, you don't understand Christ. And when that love that Jesus came down with the terms of your surrender, Jesus came down with the forgiveness for your sins and made you an offer that he could make you fit and ready to be welcome in the presence of a holy God, changes how you see everyone around you. 
Because no longer can you look down on anyone as if you've got something that God saw. And he's like, yeah, I need that guy with me forever. Man, he's really got something going on. Yeah, no. No. The gospel cures racism. Jesus alone can break down that wall. What does it do if I'm prejudiced against people? Write this down. Racism ropes off the cross from some people as if they can't have it. Or The cross lays the foundation for unity and equality among all the races in the world. There's no other place to find a sound basis for racial reconciliation. How can we get past the pain? How can we get past the hurt? How can we get past the bloodshed? The world will never figure it out. But on the cross, Jesus came down, a foreigner, not only from a different country, from a different dimension, of a different nature. He stepped down into your world to save you. That love transforms your relationships with others because he did it for everyone. He did it for every person from every background. And if you have racism lurking in your heart, you're not welcoming people to the cross. I love the Statue of Liberty. We've got a picture here of Lady Liberty, dedicated October 28th of 86, 1886. And uh, when she was dedicated, she was a beacon of hope and a light of liberty and freedom to those who were trying desperately to get to a better land. Liberty Island, Ellis Island together embodied the idea of immigration and the welcome that America gave to people from all different backgrounds and nations. Check out the plaque that's there. I love what it says. It says this, Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning. And her name, I love it, Mother of Exiles. Mother of Exiles. Keep your ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. What a picture of people leaving behind a war-torn land or an oppressive land or whatever to enter into a free world that's welcoming them, a country. And here's the point. That's the only way you're getting into God's nation. Uh, The cross is the liberty island of heaven. The cross is God's monument to liberty. And if you don't go there, you're not ever getting in to his nation. You won't be allowed on his land because you've got to stop and receive freedom. And you will only be received after you turn from your allegiance and your citizenship and your place in this world. You leave that behind and you enter You enter Christ's kingdom as a stranger, as an alien, as a foreigner, as an immigrant. That's you. How then can you look to people who are different from you? When you have been shown such a tremendous love, how can you look down on anyone who needs that exact same love? What does morality say? We believe Jesus is the only solution to our problem with evil. Therefore, racism ropes off the cross from some people. It's a sin. The cross equalizes everyone before God. We find no basis for racism at Calvary. So origin, God designed every person to reflect his image through his son, meaning every person exists to glorify God in Christ. 
Morality, Jesus is the only solution to our problem with evil, so racism is against what we believe about origin and meaning and morality. And now, where's it all going? Write this down. Destiny is the fourth word that determines our moral convictions and the way we view the world. Where's it all going? Well, we believe Jesus alone can bring us to a glorious future in heaven. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. What hope we have? There is a promise that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will worship together at, at the foot of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. Wow. The end is already written. And if Jesus is planning to bring people from every nation into his kingdom, how on earth could we turn people away or refuse to give them the love and the welcome that Jesus gives us? It's foolishness and it's sin. Philippians 3.20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We do have a plan for racial reconciliation of peoples of all ages gathering together, united by one thing, and that thing is a person. And that person is the only one who can invite us all into one heavenly land. Racism, you can write this down, rivals the kingdom Christ is preparing in heaven. Let me read to you the mission that Jesus gave his church. The mission Jesus gave his church in Matthew chapter 28 is this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. All of them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission is the opposite of racism. Racism is the opposite of the Great Commission. The racial heart says, born better. The racial heart says, some people. The racial heart welcomes certain folks. And that rivals the kingdom Christ is preparing in heaven. Let me challenge you as part one of this sermon comes to an end. And part two next week will give us very practical ways for us to put put feet to our faith. Let me say it again. Here's the challenge. I challenge you, however you can, and me and us as a church, to make a relentless, risky, everyday effort to cross racial boundaries with the love of Christ. Let's pray. What a challenge you give us, Jesus. The Great Commission was a call across racial boundaries. If those early disciples had refused to reach out across cultural and ethnic lines, none of us would be saved, or at least none of us here who are not Jewish. Father, thank you that you have a heart for the nations, that you have a heart for us, that you sent Jesus to save us. Help us, Lord, to see the great love we have been given. Help us to see how we can share that love with others. Give us opportunities, Lord, to put this into practice and Father, I just pray that you would forgive us. We struggle mightily to love those who are different from us. We do. We discriminate. We condescend. We fear. We stereotype. We do it. We do it in the church. We do it in our homes. Clear our heart up. 
as it comes from all lies, lies about where it all came from, lies about why we're here, lies about what you expect of us, lies about where it's all going. Fill us, O Lord, with the heavenly love that Jesus shares. Help us to be your ambassadors, representing your heavenly country, citizens of a greater place that all are welcome. We pray that you would make us beacons of light in this dark, divided, and violent world. May the love of Christ overcome all hatred in us and around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.